Please go over with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 this evening. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Hope you are doing well. Thank you for being in class this evening. Appreciate your being here. Also appreciate your studying the Bible every day at your house and wherever you have the opportunity. Appreciate that very much. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we'll begin in verse number 18, 1 Corinthians 1. We're going to be focusing this evening on the gospel versus human wisdom. The gospel versus human wisdom. When I say gospel, I mean, as Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, we are referring to the suffering and death crucifixion of our Lord, also his burial that um, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus looked after, and also, of course, his resurrection on the first day of the week. And when we speak of the gospel, we're speaking of the conditions of the gospel that the Lord has laid out concerning someone who has never obeyed the gospel, the conditions of faith, repentance, confession, and baptism, uh, puts one into Christ. And of course, the condition of uh, deep and abiding faithfulness to God as long as we live. And so we're talking about the conditions of the gospel. And we're also, when we speak of the gospel, we speak of the promises of the gospel. The promise of forgiveness from God, of course. And the promise of fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. And the promise of the gospel of a tremendous and bright future ahead. Because the Lord says he will be with us always. And then on top of that, the future of heaven up above. You just can't beat the Christian life. And so this evening we're going to notice the gospel versus human wisdom. We'll begin here in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 18. Notice that Paul says... For the word of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us who are saved, it is the power of, of God. So notice the straightforward statement here by Paul. That true and real wisdom is found only in the word of the cross. The preaching of the cross. The message of the cross. That message, message of course, is... Um, the suffering and the crucifixion and the resurrected uh, Savior that we serve, uh, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And this is important for the church to really absorb. And this is Paul's message to the church, to not forget what brought them to the church. It was not the wisdom of the world that brought them to the church. Rather, it was the cross the wisdom of the cross that brought them to the church. Remember Jesus said in John 12 and 32, And I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Talking about being lifted up on the cross. If I be lifted up on that cross, I will draw all men unto me. That is what should bring us to Christ initially, and that is what should keep us in Christ. Uh, until we are through on this earth. Okay. If the cross is not what brought you to church, then you need to go back and do a redo. 
because that's the only path of coming to Christ. Okay, what brought you to the church in the first place? What made you think of God in the first place? Okay, what draws us to the Lord is that cross to begin with. And so Paul's concern with the church at Corinth is that they may have initially regarded the cross as important as they begin to think about their salvation. But his concern is how they lost that spirit now that they are operating in the church. So notice here in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 18 that true wisdom comes from the message of the cross, not from worldly wisdom, not from vying for positions or looking for prestige or any sort of self-attainment. This is all in opposition to uh, the wisdom of the cross. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18. Notice here in verse 18, two groups. Two groups. Those who are perishing and those who are being saved. Notice first those who are being saved. Those who are being saved. Now, anyone who is in Christ had a certain point of time when they were saved uh, by Jesus. And this uh, study of Corinthians uh, has a nice background to it. So if you look back with me to Acts chapter 18, Acts chapter 18, notice that Paul in Corinth, Paul's in Corinth, Acts 18, Notice with me down in verses um, 7 and 8, Acts 18, 7 and 8. He's in Corinth. He's preaching. He left there and he went to the house of a man named uh, Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. And notice Acts 18, 8. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, notice this, And many of the Corinthians hearing, believed, and were baptized. Now, those in the church at Corinth became saved from their sins when they heard the gospel, believed it, and were baptized. This, of course, is very much in line with what Jesus says in the Great Commission, Mark 16, 16. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. So that's the message that they went forth uh, with into the world. This is the message they preached in in Jerusalem. This is the message they preached in uh, Samaria. This is the message that was preached to Cornelius and to Saul of Tarsus. This is the message that was preached to, to the Philippians, the jailer, and to Lydia. And this is the message they brought here into uh, Corinth as well. And so two groups here in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18, those being saved. Okay, So... Salvation begins at a certain point, okay, belief and baptism, but it's an ongoing process. It's not just a one-time act. Okay. It's an ongoing process. And to be saved is to continue in faithfulness, and really it goes back to Paul's main concern here is that, peer, that people in the church might lose this sense of the wisdom of the cross. The wisdom of the cross is opposed to the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of the cross 
is all about sacrifice. It's all about serving. It's all about selflessness. It's all about surrender. Surrendering to the will of God. And Paul's concern with the church here in Corinth is that they've lost that since they've been operating in the church. So two groups here. One group, those who are being saved. The other group is those who are perishing. Those who do not receive the cross, receive the message of the cross and surrender to it, those are the ones who are perishing and will perish uh, even uh, in a very destructive way after uh, this life. But you see the wisdom of God here. You see the wisdom of God. You see the wisdom that we need. Ultimate salvation is the goal. And ultimate salvation is what drives our lives as Christians. It's the driving force of our lives. It is the wisdom that we understand that. It's the wisdom of God that we allow the spirit and wisdom of the cross to drive everything that that is going on in our lives. So you see the two groups here. Verse 18. Before we leave verse 18, also notice the two views. The two views. Those who are perishing regard the word of the cross as something that's very foolish. Something foolish. In other words, to those of the world, the cross is something that... um, should never be a big deal. In other words, in their mind, uh, what is so clever about a lowly Nazarene who allowed himself to get crucified way over there in a place like Jerusalem? What is so special about that? And so uh, the view of some in the world is simply to hear about Jesus and then just dismiss him. Dismiss him. Sunday night we were uh, looking at um, survey of the Old Testament. We got down to Moses and Aaron going to uh, see Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said, well, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Okay. Almost in a very dismissive way. You know, I don't know the Lord. Who is he to me? And so it is here with the wisdom of the world. Who is the Lord? You know, he says, just foolishness. You know, that has nothing to do with me. But then, of course, the other view is the view of those who receive the gospel. Uh, Notice here in verse 18, uh, the the word of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us who are saved, it's the power of God. The other view is that the word of the cross is the power of God. We're not surprised by that because we know know what Romans 1.16 says. What does, that, what does that say? Yeah. Okay. So Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God and the salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Notice here in verse 24, Paul repeats himself a little bit. He says, The gospel, this word of the cross, is the power and the wisdom of God here in 1 Corinthians 1 and 24. But it's just not about stating, it's not just saying that the gospel is the power to salvation. But it's what's in the gospel that Paul is trying to drive home here. Especially 
the spirit of sacrifice, the spirit of surrender, the spirit of serving, the spirit of Christ, the Savior. Okay? That is supposed to capture us. Okay? The spirit of the cross is supposed to shape the church. And Paul is saying that there were some in the Corinthian church that were, that were falling away from this ideal. And it's not just about the power and saying that the gospel has the power of salvation, but it's about the kind of heart that we are to have in receiving the gospel. And Jesus talked about, in Luke 8, 15, the, the good and honest heart. It takes a heart of lowliness and humility to receive the gospel. Okay. So the word of the cross is the power of God. In other words, when we receive Christ and we obey him and surrender to his will, we are choosing a certain type of life. We are choosing a path of life. We're choosing the path that Christ chose. The lowly and the meek path is what we are choosing. It is, again, it is what is to drive our lives. This is what drives our thoughts. This drives our study. This drives our, our decisions. So you can see here from verse 18, Paul's discussion of the gospel versus human uh, wisdom. Let's go to verse 19. You see that in your Bible? Verse 19. Let's read that together. This is a quotation from Isaiah 29, 14. I believe it is. Check me on that. Uh, Isaiah 29, uh, verse 14. But notice what Paul says. To back up what he just said, he said, For it is written, I will destroy, that is, God will, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart, I will take out of the way, I will destroy God is saying, I will destroy the wisdom, the so-called wisdom. Now remember that word, because in some of these places, you've got to put the, the idea of so-called. Okay, when he says the wisdom of the world, so-called wisdom. When he says the foolishness of God, he's talking about so-called foolishness of God. In other words, the world regards God as foolish. But then the world looks at themselves as wise. But their wisdom is so-called and God's foolishness is so-called. That's not really the reality of the situation. But notice what God says here. This quotation from Isaiah. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I also will bring to nothing. In other words, the wisdom, here's the promise. The wisdom of the world will come to a dead end. The wisdom of the world has no future it will come to a dead end. Now, when will we recognize that? When will those of the world recognize that? Well, we know they're going to recognize it on Judgment Day. Because Romans 14, right, verses 10 through 12 says, every tongue will confess one day and then every knee shall bow. We know they will, one day, the world will recognize that its wisdom has been completely wrong-headed. It has been wrong. But the message here is that God would have them to recognize true wisdom now in their lives and not be, not be lost, not wait till Judgment Day. And the message here is that we would think like God. That yes, God's going to destroy the wisdom of the world, but we want, we want to have the heart of God and help people to see what true wisdom is, help people see the cross and their need of salvation now. 
in this lifetime so they can enjoy eternity, uh, eternal life with us as well. And so that's verse 19. Notice that the wisdom of the world will come to a, a dead end. We know the heart of God. 1 Timothy 2, verse 4, he would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. But the wisdom of the world has no future. Okay. Notice verse 20, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 20, the series of questions, which are interesting. A whole series of questions. And he's trying to illustrate how that the wisdom of the world is not the way to go. And so he wants the, he wants the members of the church there at Corinth to look around them. Look around and then ask uh, these questions. Notice here, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this world? Where is the disputer of this world or this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? In other words, uh, you members of the church, uh, look around. Where, where are the wise people? Those that consider themselves wise and noble in the world. In the world, where are they at? They're not here. Where are they at? Where's the wise? Where are the noble people? Where, where, where are the, uh, where's the scrap? Where's the debater and disputer of this world? Where, all those people you consider wise, where are they at? They're not here at church because they don't consider what we're doing. They don't consider the cross as being meaningful of any value whatsoever. And he's trying to get them to ask, you know, look around you. Where are they at? They're not here. They're not here. They don't have a regard. In other words, these men of the world, they don't have time or a heart for Christ. They don't have time or heart for Christ. They don't have time for a Savior. They, they, they feel like they're way too important. They're way too intellectual for this. Okay. So he, he wants them to think about where are they at? They're not here. They're not here. Look about you. The people who are truly, truly spiritual are not going to be the ones who consider themselves to be wise as to this world. Look with me to Luke chapter 10, and we'll come right back. Luke chapter 10. Look what Jesus says in verse uh, 21. Luke 10, 21, Jesus uh, says, In that same hour he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, and you have revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. You see what the will of God is? Those who consider themselves wise and understanding, the truth of the gospel will be hidden from them. Not that God doesn't want them to know them. They're just not going to see these truths because of their, uh, I guess, their prideful heart, or how they consider themselves. So, hmm? the arrogance. Okay. Too, too big and mighty for the lowly Nazarene. Okay. You might consider also James 2, verse 5, Along these lines, where he says, Has not God chosen the poor as to this world rich in faith? 
So notice here, Paul's asking these series of questions. He says, now notice that those who are going to be growing in the spiritual qualities of Christ are not going to be those who regard themselves with a great deal of power and wisdom of the world. But then there's another question that's kind of implied here. Remember, he's speaking to the church. And it's a why question. Okay, first is a where question, now there's a why question. So where are these, these intellectuals? They're not here, they're not serving Christ. Okay. And then implied here is kind of a why question. Why are you church members? Why, why, do you keep, why do you keep holding up those of the world? Why are you making the pattern in your life, those of you who, who accepted Christ, those of you who are now in the church, why do you keep upholding the wisdom of the world? Why do you keep making that your pattern? Why do you think so much of that? Why are you allowing yourselves to drift away from the wisdom of the cross to the wisdom of the world? That's not what brought you here. What, you brought, what should have brought you here is the wisdom of the cross. And if that is what brought you here, that's what's going to keep you here. So notice verse 20. So the human wisdom here, the gospel versus human wisdom. Okay, notice what verse 18 says. Notice the, the dead-end route of human wisdom, verse 19. And notice Paul's series of questions here in verse 20. Before we go on, you have a comment or two you'd like to make about this discussion so far. Notice then, as we move on into verse uh, 21. 21. He says, The world through its own wisdom knew not God. Now, all that means, as you know, all it means is, you know, humanity left to his own devices. Uh, us, humans, Humankind, if you leave it up to us, our own ways, our own devices, then we're never going to find God. We're never going to know God. We're never going to find peace. We're never going to know salvation from God. That's what he's saying. The world, through its own wisdom, will never know God. We know um, Jeremiah spoke to this, Jeremiah 10, 23, when he said, The way of man is not in himself. It is not a man who walks to direct his own steps. And we know uh, Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right unto man, but the way end of those ways are always death. Okay. The world through its wisdom cannot know God. Turn with me to Romans 1 for a second. Romans 1. Read with me Romans 1, 21 and following. Romans 1. Here we go. Romans 1.21 For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise. Notice this. Claiming to be wise, Romans 1.22 They became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them up in, in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to, dis, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because 
they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than, rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to a dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those who are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves a due penalty uh, for their error. So we go on there. But notice that this is what happens to man when he is on his own. He is reckless. He, has, he is in the dark. Okay. He has, he see, he has um, we see it in our own world. Man sees no end to his own destruction. And anybody with a reasonable Bible-based heart can stand back and see man destroying himself and how foolish, utterly foolish, man looks. Now, Paul is writing to what you might, a Roman world, a, a, a Greek-slash-Roman world. And that Greek-slash-Roman world resembles very much the society in which we live today. We're not making this up. This is just the way it is. So, the world through its own wisdom cannot ever know God. This is our plea to the world that we're all in the same boat. If any of us struck out on our own, then we, before long, we would be in the dark. And we would utterly destroy ourselves. It says here in, in 1 Corinthians 1.21, it says, In the wisdom of God, the world through its own wisdom knew not God. What part of this is the wisdom of God? He's attaching the wisdom of God to the fact that the world through its own devices cannot know God. How is God's wisdom attached to this? Maybe you want to speak to this, but in my mind, it's simply the discerning aspect. In other words, what Paul is saying here and how God has um, set things up with his plan easily discerns, tells the difference between who's the true believer and who's not. Uh, it's, you're able to tell who has the deep faith in God and who has a shallow faith. You're able to tell right away before long uh, who is it that is going by the wisdom of the cross and who's abiding in the wisdom of the world and in men. So God, knowing best how to bring the gospel to us, he set it up like this in his arrangement that it would take a humble heart, a heart that, that understands and grows in the spirit and sacrifice of the cross in order to understand the scriptures, understand God. And those who are not willing to have that humble disposition will never be able to see all the treasures that God would have us to see. Notice verse 21. In the wisdom of God, the world through its own wisdom knew not God. But it pleased God. What does the rest of the verse say? Please God what? Right. It pleased God through the 
word of the cross again, to the preaching of the cross. Foolishness of preaching. It pleased God through this means to save those who believe. Notice that this is something that pleases God. Again, God utterly wants everyone to be saved. If there's anyone who is walking around above the ground right now, he wants that person to be saved. It pleases him. Of course, we want to be pleasing to God. We want to do those things that pleases him. We want, we want to be involved in the purpose of God and the pleasure of God. It is his good pleasure to save those uh, that believe. This is, would come as kind of hard language to someone living in the world, but this is not God turning his back on the world. This is God pleading with the world. Remember the cross here. Continuous mention of the cross. Jesus died for all men. Jesus died for the humble, but Jesus died for the prideful too. Jesus died for all men. Okay. All men no matter where they're at, no matter uh, what kind of background they have. This is not God forgetting about worldly people. This is God reaching out to worldly people. It pleased God through the foolishness of preaching to save those who believe. Who believe. Not just to save people, but to save people who are willing, to, as we mentioned a moment ago, to surrender their life uh, to Christ. Verse 21. Okay, so notice here, uh, as we move on, verses 22 to 25, there are, uh, again, it's, it's, the whole little paragraph here, of course, is about the gospel versus human wisdom. So, again, Paul's going to go back, and he's going to notice three reactions uh, to the glorious gospel. Three reactions. One of pride, one of perception, and then one that's very sacred. He says again, verse 22, that uh, you know, we preach Christ crucified. Now unto the Jews is a stumbling block, unto the Greeks is foolishness. And so one reaction is from the Greek world, and that is pride, as we have said. Pride. It, their pride would not allow them to consider the simple message of the cross. They were way too full of themselves. They were way too um, tangled up in their own intellect. Does this sound familiar at all? Does this, do, do we see any of these characteristics in the world? Is this a temptation to those in the world today? Paul knows of this, but he doesn't want that to be in the church. He doesn't want that to be in anybody's life, but especially... He's pleading with the church here to remember from whence they came. Remember, it wasn't human wisdom that brought you to Christ. So why are you now flirting around with human wisdom when it was the wisdom of the cross that first brought you to Christ? So one reaction is pride. Pride. Pride of the Grecian world. Then, of course, the second reaction is the perception of the Jews. What kind of perception did the Jews have of Jesus? What kind of, well, what kind of perception did the Jews have of the coming Messiah? The 
becoming Messiah, that caused Jesus to be a stumbling block. Yeah, the earthly kingdom. Okay. What more can you say about that? They even wanted Jesus to come down from the cross. And when he was on the cross, they still wanted the earthly kingdom. Okay. Yeah, they, they were very much, as Mark is saying here, very much tied into an earthly kingdom. In other words, their idea was that when the Messiah come, he would overthrow the Roman government. Uh, the, the Jews were very much um, upset for, for many years, for generations, that the Roman government, the, the Grecian government, expanded its reach from Rome all the way into Judea, and they felt like this was uh, absolutely anti-God, and they felt like the Messiah, when he come, would take care of all this and restore something like David had or something like Solomon had in the Old Testament time. And by their thinking this, they completely misunderstood the nature of the Messiah, the nature of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was coming as a lowly servant. He would establish a people of lowly servants. And they completely missed it. And that's why he became a stumbling block. And uh, the scriptures even uh, describe their perception as it being a scandal. You know, we're familiar with scandal in our day and time. And uh, that's the way the scriptures describe their, their perception that this is our Messiah, but there he is on a criminal's cross. This is a scandal. That's, that's interesting you say it that way, that the Jews would refer to a Messiah dying on the cross as a scandal, as something that would be uh, very, in their mind, very outrageous uh, to even consider. I'll see if I could pick that word up, but I don't see it. Okay. But it Yeah. Okay. Well, you need to find that. That's what Mike did last week. You know, he brought up the scripture and didn't tell us where it was at. Well, I didn't bring it. I just gave the essence of it. I didn't think where it was. You've got 10 minutes to find it. All right. So you see here three reactions one from the Grecian world, pride, the other, is from the Jewish world, a misperception of the Messiah becomes a stumbling block. They just missed him totally. And then finally, the sacred reaction is found here in verse uh, 24 and 25. Um, those who ultimately are saved uh, and are called, Christ becomes the power of God and the wisdom of God. The calling comes from where? Gospel. 2 Thessalonians 2.14 We are called by the gospel. This word of the cross is the call from God. Right? And so those who respond to that call and make the commitment Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Notice the summary statement here in verse 25 
that clearly says, and this is really what this entire chapter is about, verse 25, the, the foolishness and weakness of God, that is, how the world considers it, of course, the foolishness and the weakness of God is vastly more superior than the strength and the wisdom of the world. Okay. And the thing is, you know, do we believe this and do we live by this? this? This is what we live by. So God's wisdom is totally superior to the wisdom of men, but we have a tendency to go back to the wisdom of men, even in the church. We lose that spirit of uh, sacrifice, service. We go toward more um, pride, position, and prestige. Um, we, we just need to fight that with all the, the strength that we have because it's not the way of the cross. There he is uh, commenting further on, on how the wisdom of God is, is, is simple simplicity. And it is. It is. Jesus was a very simple man. It was prophesied from Isaiah 53 that he would grow up like a root out of dry ground. In other words, he would have no advantages. In fact, he'd have a lot of disadvantages. Uh, he would uh, be a man who is despised. He would be a man who was acquainted with grief. Um, he was a man that when you looked at him, there was nothing special about him. Because that's, it wasn't on that kind of basis that God wanted to draw his people to him. The importance of a humble and servant heart cannot be overemphasized. And that's, it was on those bases, not a bunch of superficial bases, but on, on deep abiding heart quality basis that, that God would draw us to him and keep us uh, near to him. That's a good point. Simplicity. And you can see God's wisdom because you can go now, right now any place in the world and establish Christianity with the gospel. You don't need the cathedrals. You don't need a bunch of uh, instruments with you. But it's a simple, simple gospel following a simple Savior. Mark, Mark found it. Okay. It's in the very text that we're looking at. It's in verse 23. What's uh, translated the stumbling block in the Greek is scandal. Okay. Scandal. So Larry's saying that the word stumbling block 
referring to the Greeks, uh, the Jewish reaction is really, uh, in a sense, a scandal. They referred, they looked at it as um, as an abhorred thing, something that would be um, totally opposed uh, in their view of God. And the Messiah would come in that kind of humble spirit. Gave it to the Greeks. If they told those stories about uh, Hercules, it was before he died, and they backed up again. They didn't believe in life after death anyway, so that was just foolishness. Right. So the, the idea of resurrection, even in life after this, was even foolishness to them. We'll take a break here and thank you for uh, exploring these verses this evening. You can see the power of these thoughts. And uh, they're much more powerful than, than, than our explanation of them, but we can certainly see the wisdom of God again and again.